Amen. All right, have a seat if you would. If you got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Uh, while you're going there, I want to mention one thing to you uh, about uh, next week. So next week we're going to have a guest speaker. He's been with us before. I think he's one of the best preachers in America. It's uh, Dr. John Aiken. Uh, he's the vice president at Carson Newman. Uh, my wife Robin's having surgery on uh, Tuesday of this week, if you pray for her. But uh, what I want to specifically mention to you about John, he's preaching a message that I've heard him preach before that I've asked him uh, to preach in particular for us. But, you know, we've got tons of young families at, at True Life. But then as a pastor, I guess one of the most common questions that I get or conversations that I end up having is uh, parents are a little bit older who have adult kids and are maybe struggling with those kids or concerned because those kids aren't walking with the Lord and that kind of thing. And so he's going to preach Proverbs 22.6 and it will address both of those things. So if you're a parent or you want to be a parent at some point, I would highly recommend you being here next week. Okay, so uh, we're doing a series, if, if you're new, and, and, and we're really glad that you're here, uh, excited, thankful for those of you, family, who came for the baptism, and if you're just new, if you're a guest, uh, we're really glad you're with us, hope you'll come back, but we're in a series we're calling The Servant King, and basically we're walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, this is the 19th message, and we come to the beginning of Luke chapter 5 today, and what we're going to talk about this morning is uh, following Jesus instead of living for myself. And this is one thing that I know about all of us, something that we have to wrestle with, that if you've heard the gospel, if you're under the sound of the Word of God like you are this morning, all of us have to wrestle with what we're going to do with that, how we're going to respond. Are we going to trust Jesus, surrender to Him, and, and follow Him, or are we going to continue to live for ourselves? And the reality is we can't have it both ways. Sometimes we want to do that. We want to you know, know Jesus, maybe know that we're going to heaven, but then we still may want to kind of live life. Listen, that's human nature. All of us battle every day, even if you're a Christian, even if you're a pastor, Every day I battle between, at times, doing what I want to do and what Jesus wants me to. And so we have to wrestle with that. Now, we're in different places spiritually. Some of you today, you're not a Christian. And we're, we're, the decision you need to make today is are you actually going to become a follower of Christ? By faith, are you going to commit your life to Jesus Maybe he's been calling you. Maybe he's speaking to you. Maybe this is brand new to you, and that's going to happen today. But I actually became a Christian when I was nine years old, and I was extremely shy growing up. I mean, extremely shy. And, and I grew up in an old-school Baptist church, and I thought you had to walk down the aisle at a come-forward invitation to get saved, which is not the case. That can be a part of the, uh, the process, but really, where you get saved has nothing to do with whether or not you're a Christian. Uh, you know, being a Christian is that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you're, you're trusting Him. But you know, I'd be in church, 
and would hear God's word preached, and uh, God's spirit was dealing with me, and just like something was tugging my heart. It's like, you need this, you know you're a sinner, and you know you need to be forgiven, and, and I just kept resisting it. But God kept calling, he drew me to himself, I said yes. Maybe that's some, where some of you are. Maybe for some of you, it's as a disciple, it's following him, living for him daily. Maybe there's sin you need to repent of. Or maybe there's something he's calling you to do with your life. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, I, I ran from the call to be a, a preacher, a pastor for years. And, you know, God had to make me miserable before I said yes. And even then, it was like I was wrestling with God for months. Maybe there's something that you're wrestling with God about today, something that God's dealing with you about, and you need to surrender to Jesus and say yes to him. Listen, living for Jesus is not the easiest way to live. And I think if a preacher tries to tell you that, I don't think they're really preaching the Bible. Really, he bids us to come and die to ourselves. It's not easy, but it's the best way to live. Because he offers us things that no one else, nothing else can give us. He offers us eternity, and he offers us peace and hope and joy and purpose. But ultimately, he offers us himself. And that's what this is really about. And so, we're going to see Jesus calling some of his first disciples today. And it's going to focus on Simon Peter. Now, if you look at John chapter 1, Peter had already been exposed to Jesus. And I'm not sure, maybe if you study the Bible, maybe you've got a thought on this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Peter actually became a follower of Jesus, if he got saved in what's recorded in John chapter 1, or it happens here in Luke chapter 5, it happened in John chapter 1. This is like a call to ministry. I don't know how much it really matters. I'm going to try to apply it both ways today. But with that said, let, let's read the text, Luke 5, starting in verse 1. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So commercial fishermen in that day would work in teams with these large nets so they could hopefully catch a, a lot of fish uh, at, at one time. And so that's kind of the background there. Uh, archaeologists a few years ago found the entire hull of a boat, probably a fishing boat, uh, intact there uh, around the, the Sea of Galilee, I think it was. It was like 25 and a half feet long. And so as you read this, I don't know if their boat was exactly that length, but it could have been a fairly large uh, you know, vessel uh, that they were using. But it says here in verse 3 that Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So he's almost creating kind of like a natural amphitheater here, uh, you know, with the lake and, and, and everything. And it says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down uh, for a catch. Now, I don't know about uh, you, although I think this is kind of human nature, so Peter's a professional fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. Usually when somebody uh, that really doesn't know what they're doing, and it's something that we know what we're doing, if somebody tries to tell us what to do, we usually don't respond to that very well, right? 
I mean, I'm not going to try to tell Preston how to be an insurance agent because I don't know how that works. I'm going to try to tell Chris how to play the bass because, uh, you know, I have no clue. Uh, I'm not going to try to tell Shane how to, uh, you know, do loans and all that kind of thing because uh, I'm I'm clueless. And so... uh, you know, I don't know what Peter thought about this uh, on the inside. I don't know if he already, just because it was Jesus or whatever, but his answer in verse 5 is that you know, he said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, let me just say this. You know this has to be a true story if a fisherman is admitting to catching nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, because what fisherman has ever done that in, in the history of the world? I mean, it's usually like at least it's the big one that got away, right? But so, so you know this is a true story. So we, we've, we've toiled all night. They normally fish there at night. And, uh, and, and they normally, they, the, the fish were in the more shallow water closer to, to shore. And, and so, you know, Jesus, like what he's saying doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. It would be the opposite of what you would think uh, would, would work. But notice Peter's response. He says, nevertheless, it's your word. I will let down the net. And that's key to understanding this story. And so he says, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. So this would be something like there would have been a supernatural catch of fish. This wasn't like, hey, we got lucky and they were really biting today. Like this did not make sense, humanly speaking, for them to catch this many fish, especially in the morning, especially where they let down the nets. But notice his response, and we'll talk about this. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's calling him God. I mean, and he says in verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So this is what I want to try to do this morning as as we look at this passage. And really, in this passage, Jesus is revealing himself to them and us through proclaiming a message and performing a miracle. And in the miracle, Jesus was revealing who he is, but he was also giving them an object lesson of what their mission was to be. And so as we look at this, I want to ask and try to answer from this text two questions this morning. Two pretty simple but profound and important questions. That is, why follow Jesus? I mean, why should you and I follow Jesus? And then how do we follow Jesus? I mean, you know, what's it look like to truly, actually be a follower of Jesus Christ? Why should we follow Jesus? I want want to give you two reasons from this text. First of all, I want you to see the greatness of his person, the greatness of who he is. By doing this miracle, who is he revealing himself to be? He's revealing himself to be the Lord over nature, which reveals him to be the creator God. 
The Bible tells us that all things were created through and by and for Jesus Christ. And he's showing this, that even though you know, he's in, in human flesh, that he's God and he has the authority to do supernatural things in nature, which reveals him to be the creator. I mean, Peter did not respond to him like he was just another guy, right? He's not like, hey, my dude, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see you here. That was not his response. We see also by him doing this that he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. He either somehow supernaturally knew where the fish were or he orchestrated it for the fish uh, to be there. He's showing his power and his authority. And, and notice their response. Uh, he evoked amazement when they experienced him. Now, I think when we get cold or apathetic in our faith, which we do sometimes, the key is to see again who Jesus is. But, you know, sometimes we can read these stories and, you know, we've read them however many times. We've heard them. We come to church. We've heard the songs before. Don't we just go through the motions? Now, on the other hand... If there were certain people that showed up here, if there were certain singers or actors or celebrities or athletes, depending on what your thing is, right, you'd be in awe if they showed up because of who they are. I mean, I remember one time a long time ago, and um, I'm not going to say who, I'm going to be a little veiled in the details because uh, the, the man is kind of fallen, so to speak, but Rob and I had the opportunity to meet a, an extremely well-known le leading uh, you know, Christian uh, leader in, in, in America and spend some time uh, in his office. And like I said, I, I used to be shy, but I went from shy. I would say I was a blubbering idiot, but blubbering would give me uh, too much uh, credit in this particular case. I was just a, a, a mute idiot, apparently, in this particular case. I couldn't hardly uh, speak. I was just kind of in awe because I'd heard so much about this person, been lifted up as a hero of the faith and, and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, my wife is outgoing and good with people, and she kind of carried it through. And But really... That's how we ought to be in the presence of Jesus. Just in awe of his greatness and who he is. So there's the greatness of his person, but also in this text, we see the greatness of his grace. Justin Holcomb has described grace is that it's getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. We deserve judgment, we get blessing. Grace is the opposite of karma. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. Grace is one-way love. And we see it in this text because he met them where they were. And he revealed himself to them and called them to himself. I mean, he went to them. And listen, we can never come to Jesus on our own. If you know Jesus, it's because he came to you. 
It's because He called you and and drew you to Himself. That in and of itself is the grace of God. He revealed Himself to you. But it's also good news because it it means that we don't have to clean ourselves up and fix ourselves up and, and, and do certain things and get to a certain level before we can come to Him. He came to us. He went all the way to the cross to rescue us from our sins. And and that's the difference between the gospel and, and, and religion. He meets us where we are. So I don't care where you are today. You need Him, but He's available to you. You're not here by accident hearing the gospel today. He wants you to come to him because he came to you. We we, we see in this text that he's gracious because he cleanses us of our sin. Peter's like, depart from me. And Jesus is like, no, follow me. Come with me. David Garland has said of this that the message is that Jesus has not come to drive sinners away from his holy presence, but to draw them into the net of his embracing grace. That's what he did with Peter. That's what he offers us. And then we see here that he commissions us to carry out our mission, or his mission, which gives our lives eternal purpose. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm giving you something to live for that will outlast you. Listen, I mean, you need a profession, a vocation. That's great, but that doesn't last forever. When we fish for men, when we're on mission with Jesus, we're part of carrying out the Great Commission. That lasts forever, and it gives meaning and purpose and significance to our lives. And so because of who he is, because of the gracious offer of salvation and life transformation and mission and purpose that he gives us, that's why we follow him. It's a gift of his grace. We can say with the Apostle Paul that I am who I am by the grace of God. But you say, okay, Believe this about Jesus. And understand, you know, a miracle like this, this is just like a a little picture. I mean, this is just the warm-up for when he rose from the dead, and then they really followed him. That's the ultimate miracle. But if you say, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. So how do I follow him? Well, let me try to point that out to you from this text and the rest of the time that we have. I just want to show you five ways or or steps in following Jesus. The first is faith. It's to trust Jesus. So again, uh, Jesus taught this crowd, and then he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And and, and Simon answered and said, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. In other words, If he would have stopped there, he would have said, basically been saying, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. Right? There's clearly not fish here. I mean, if they weren't here at night, which is when we usually catch them, they're definitely not going to be here now. And, And isn't this how we respond to God a lot of times? Oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this fits uh, with, with my life. But he didn't stop there. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And you see, this illustrates to us what faith is. 
Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. Faith is doing what Jesus tells us to do. Uh, Saving faith is believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then we live the Christian life by faith because the Bible tells us we walk by faith, not by sight. So if we're going to follow Jesus, it's born out of trust in Him. Are you trusting Him as your Lord and your Savior? Are you trusting Him daily in your life? But a second thing that we see here is if we're going to follow Jesus... It comes from us repenting of sin. Now, Peter's response here just kind of blows me away. Because he clearly saw this as a miracle. He saw this as, I mean, they were amazed. They they saw this as an incredible, supernatural kind of thing. But it, it would seem like that his response would be, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this blessing. Uh, We're going to have a profit for the year now off this big uh, catch. Thank you for blessing me so much. Thank you for doing this. But that's not how he responded. He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me. He said, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence, Lord, God. Kent Hughes has has written of this, that faced with Christ's authority and power, his soul flooded with a sense of his own evil and hollowness and with a trembling realization of the personal consequences of his sin. This is the proper response to God. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, you know, with the angels proclaiming, holy, 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 his first thought was not adoration, but fear. He felt such moral trauma in respect to his own sin that he cried out, woe is me. Job had much the same experience. He said, my eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. John wrote in the book of Revelation, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Listen, this response to Jesus is a great grace because moral agony and inner writhing over one's sin is a necessary prelude to the grace of forgiveness. You see, seeing Jesus coming into his presence doesn't actually make us feel better about ourselves. I think that's how some people construe worship. I mean, if we come into the presence of Jesus, I think either we're not going to be thinking about ourselves at all, or we're going to be thinking about how unworthy that I am and that my only hope is the grace of God. And this is what Peter experienced. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that could be literally translated, Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they have nothing to offer God. That is the way to salvation when we come 
come to the end of ourselves and know that we're sinners separated from God by our sins. And our only hope is to just fling ourselves uh, upon Christ and His grace and His mercy, looking to what He did on the cross and that alone to justify us. We're talking about repentance. We're talking about being broken, sorrowful over our sin, turning from our sin, turning to Him in faith. And that is how He transforms our lives. There's a, a celebrity, a musician, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was the founder of the band Korn, which is like a metal band. His name's Brian Welch. And uh, he recently posted uh, something on social media about his 19th spiritual birthday. He became a Christian in, in, in 2005, and he put a picture of, of himself being baptized in, uh, in the Jordan River after his salvation. And here's what he said of it. He said, it is just as powerful and secure today, 19 years later. Coming to the end of myself was so precious because it helped me come to a profound realization. One, I truly despise myself. Two, my sick, depressed, addictive view of my existence had to die. Laying my life down in the Jordan River waters in Israel symbolized that death to self. And this is what he said. He says, new life will never be birthed until a death happens. A laying down of one's pride, an egotistical state of mind. And that's what was happening with Peter in this text. And that is what is happening anytime time that a sinner truly meets Jesus Christ. So following Jesus, it's about coming to the end of ourselves and repenting. But then three, it's about surrendering to Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Why did they do this? Because Peter said, Jesus, your Lord. Now, you know, how do we apply this to us, that can be a little bit of a challenge because you know Jesus isn't in the room. It's not like you know we're going to leave our boats and you know go hang out with him in person for the next three years. What, what does it mean to forsake all? It means to say, Jesus, I'm yours. My life is yours. Everything that I have is from you, and it belongs to you. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my God. You're the boss. You're the one that's in charge. You're the one that I am to obey. That's what it means to, to follow Jesus, to be a Christian. Do you say, do you always get that right, Jimmy? No, absolutely not. But I recognize that he is Lord, and when I don't, I know that I need to confess that and repent because that's who he is. That's his position in my life. Listen, if you really want to know Jesus, it comes out of surrender. There's no shortcut. Jesus himself said, Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why, Why do we do that? Like I said, it's not necessarily easy, but it's better. Why? Because the next verse says, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen, if we try to hang on to our lives, we're ultimately going to lose them. If we give them away to Him, that's when we'll have life abundant and eternal because He is the way, the truth, and the life. There was a missionary in the 1960s. His name was J.W. Tucker. And on November the 24th, 1964, at the hands of some Congolese rebels, 
him and 60 other uh, Christians were beaten and bound and, and tossed into the Bomoconde River and eaten by crocodiles. And in one of his books, Mark Batterson describes this, uh, that this way. He says, Our natural instinct is to feel sorry for Tucker, whose earthly life was seemingly cut short. But life can't be cut short when it lasts for all eternity. A holy empathy for his wife and children who survived the terrorist attack is biblically mandated. But heaven gained a hero, a hero in a long line of heroes who traced their genealogy back to the first Christian martyr, Stephen. In the grand scheme of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, eternal gain infinitely offsets earthly pain. God doesn't promise us happily ever after. He promises so much more than that. Happily forever after. It's that eternal perspective that inspired J.W. Tucker to risk his earthly life for the gospel. He didn't fear death because he'd already died to himself. But it wasn't an uncalculated risk that led him into the Congo during a civil war. He counted the cost with his missionary friend, Morris Plotz, who tried to convince him to not do this, to not go in there, by saying, if you go in, you won't come out. To which Tucker responded, God didn't tell me I had to come out. He only told me I had to go in. Jesus is Lord. We eternally belong to Him. So we trust Him. We repent we surrender, and then we daily follow Jesus. Listen, yes, there is the initial decision of repenting and trusting Him as our Savior. Uh, there is the first step of obedience, which is believer's baptism by immersion. This is the Great Commission. But then it's daily learning to obey all things that He has taught. It's by faith, walking with Him, being in His Word. And then as we read His Word and we learn more about Him, then we do what He tells us to do. So, have you made that initial decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you taken that first step of obedience and unashamedly, publicly confessed Him through believers' baptism by immersion as these six people did today? And then are you daily following Him, walking with Him, living for Him, getting to know Him better? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And then last, if we're following Jesus, we're going to fulfill His mission. Look again at what He told them in verse 10. He said, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Here's the idea. If we're really following we're going to be fishing. Or to say it another way, you can't follow Jesus without fishing for men and women. Because to follow Jesus, in part, means to make His mission our mission. What's His mission? To seek and to save that which was lost. What did He do? He left the, the 99 to go find uh, the, the one lost sheep. What's He call us to do? To leave the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. So if you know Jesus, if you're amazed by Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you've fallen before Jesus and said, I'm a sinner, save me, Lord, then you can't help but want other people to have the same experience.
So who's your one? Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you praying for to get saved? Who are you inviting uh, to church? How are you using your spiritual gifts in the ministry of the church to better enable us to be able to serve and reach more people? What are you doing when it comes to missions? Are you going? Are you giving? Are, are you praying? If you're not fishing, you're not following. We're called to be fishers of men. This is very clear in this text, other places in the gospel. So, what's God calling you to do? Do some of you need to take that first step, make that initial decision of deciding by faith to live for Jesus instead of yourself? Is God, has he been dealing with you? Is he convicting you of your sin? Is he tugging at your heart? Right now is a great moment just to bow to him and receive him, to trust him, to surrender to him. Is there a ministry, a mission, a calling that he's placed on your life that you need to say yes to? Is there a sin that you need to repent of? Do you daily need to walk with him? Are there people that you need to be fishing for? People in your life that need a relationship with him that you ought to be the one that's trying to reach them. I'll ask you if you would. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to give you an opportunity.